Hi, I'm Sarah Buino. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Nice to have you. I wanted to take a quick moment and I got a little ask for you, a little call to action. I would be so, so, so grateful if you listen to us on iTunes, if you would go and A, subscribe so that it automatically downloads and B, give me a rating. If you like what you hear, please write a review. It helps so much. And I really do want to continue sharing this with folks all around the world. Woo! I need to see where my listeners are. I really have no idea. I know I have some in Canada now. So woo woo, Canadians. Hey guys. So please subscribe and rate when you can. Today's guest, I am super excited to share this with you. I'm always excited, but this one is a little bit different. So today's guest is Elmo Painter. And she is a body-centered psychotherapist and sensuality educator, and she lives and practices in Chicago. Her passions include getting people in touch with their authentic selves, finding ways to make moments more awesome, and helping people process and settle from post-traumatic stress. And I guess this is a warning seems like a strong word. So I'm going to say a note for people to have. We talk about sex in this podcast. And If you get offended by sexy things, then don't listen today because Elmo and I talk about kink and BDSM and things along that line. And if that is something that turns you off or makes you upset in any way, then this one is not for you. But I think it's awesome. I think it is something that needs to be talked about more. And when Elmo and I hung up at the end of the conversation, I thanked her for being that person who could integrate her knowledge of kink and BDSM and sexuality and utilize that in the therapy room in a really boundaried way. I think it's interesting how long it can take for some people to bring sex into the therapeutic relationship. And man, when I've had clients finally get there, it's been so incredibly important and so incredibly healing to talk about it and to really think about how our sexuality has been shaped. So A plus to Elmo for going there. And I hope you really enjoy this interview with her. Hello, Elmo. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Thank you. I'll just tell the audience, this is our take two, because the first time around, I was just not hearing you properly. And that was bullshit, because you are already saying amazing things. I want everyone to know. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So we were like, fuck this take. Let's start again. Yeah, I had a backup mic. My amazing partner came in and saved the day. Yay! Yay! Awesome. So let's get back to who you are and what you do. Okay. So hi, everyone. My name is Elmo, and I am body-centered psychotherapist. And what that means is I do a lot of body mindfulness. I do a lot of helping people get in touch with their emotional selves and their emotional bodies and understand biologically what emotions are and where they come from and how to listen to them and how to get in touch with them so that they can move out and any kind of stuck patterns, any kind of stuck moods and people who are having trouble like regulating moods and overwhelm and things like that can listen and learn to balance them. And it's really great for people who have been through hell, which a lot of us have. Whether we know it or not. Yeah. It's funny. I went to a training with Gabor Mate a couple weeks ago, and he talked about, you know, basically that everyone has childhood trauma. 
And it's not necessarily like the thing that happened to you that is the trauma, but the way that your caregivers disappointed you as they always inevitably do. And that's where the trauma is, is that rift in a relationship where the child has to choose attachment over authenticity, essentially. Oh, yeah. Right. I know. I was like, mind blown. (laughs) Yeah. And also like looking at kind of polyvagal stuff and and the, the trauma response. And that trauma happens in the body also because with our brains, we talk ourselves out of the fight or flight response, especially when we're children, when it's more dangerous to fight back and more dangerous to run because this is, you know, sometimes our caregiver and sometimes where we are, we can't run away from because we won't survive or we can't fight back because it's much stronger and bigger than us. And sometimes that's the person who takes care of us. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about... Also, your kind of spiritual work that you do, because like the way that you described it sounds so normal. And (laughs) one of the reasons that I am so energetically attracted to you is because you're anything but normal like me. (laughs) So talk about the weird stuff, too. Okay, well, I can talk about energy work and about utilizing visualizations and spirit work and getting in touch with the higher self and conversations with spirit guides. And I can talk about my history in the kink community and how that like Mm -hmm. being trained in the BDSM community is what brought me to be a body centered psychotherapist. I mean, Oh really? Oh, go there. That's interesting. I mean, if you want to get off the normal track, I have yes. <laughs> plenty of roads for me to go Fuck down. normal. <laughs> Do I look normal, Elmo? Come on. <laughs> okay. So I have been a kinky person for a very long time. And what? What? Yep. Am I in good company? You are. You are. <laughs> Don't listen, brother. <laughs> Thank God my parents are dead, but my brothers, stop. Close your ears. <laughs> awesome. My family maybe will listen to this, but they Mm -hmm. already know. I'm pretty out of the closet. So yeah, I moved to San Francisco in 2004 and immediately went to dominatrix school, which is what I call Cleo Dubois Academy of SM Arts. Hmm. Yeah, she is an incredible, incredible being. I was very young. I mean, that was 14 years ago. I was 20. Two, I think, and I was the youngest hmm. person to have signed up and that she elected to do this training. She was like, you're very young. I'm not sure, but she had this gut feeling about me and mm-hmm. so lucky that she did. And I feel genuinely blessed that she did because I went there with all these beliefs about how I was going to go and learn to take out my aggression on men Mm. and, you know, be this powerhouse and have power by taking power from men, essentially. Mm. And she turned me around real quick. Yeah, I was going to say that doesn't sound right. (laughs) I'm not a dominatrix, but I'm guessing that's not how it works. That is not how it works. So yeah, me being young and much less experienced back then, she felt something in me. She felt my passion and she felt, I mean, I had a lot of other stuff. I had like energy work experience and, you know, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. So I came and the training was incredible. And she let all of us know really fast that she was training healers, that this work is healing work and it's spiritual work. And it's taking someone on a journey 
It's taking somebody through an experience and it's leading them through their shadows and it's leading them through their strength. And it has this capacity to build trust between two people. And it has this really beautiful way of putting two people through a transcendent experience. This is how I was trained. This is not how everyone practices kink. Right, right. This is like my world. This is like basically where my baby dominatrix, you know, self grew up. Essentially, Cisco leather community, which is very spiritual. Do you know the author Sarah Beak? No. Oh, girl, you need to read her. Yeah. Her second book, Red Hot and Holy, she talks about kind of awakening to this spiritual sexuality part of her. And then she just released a third book that like blew my mind. Everything that you're talking about, I mean, she doesn't talk about kink necessarily, but just like the spiritual aspect of sexuality. And it's such a shame that our culture completely denies that that could be the case. Yeah. Even sometimes in the BDSM culture, like, yeah, I've talked to other people in the kink community about the spirituality of it and the healing aspects of it. And people are like, uh, what? Right. I mean, it's all over the place. And kink is what you make it. And people are into it for all kinds of different reasons. And what you just said about sexuality and, and healing through sex, I wanted to bring up that something that a lot of people don't know, which is that BDSM and kink does not always involve sex. It can be an experience that is not a sexual experience. It can be mm-hmm. body work, essentially, or, you know, like role play can involve no mm-hmm. touch at all. There are just so many ways of experiencing those power exchanges, those energy exchanges. Yeah, I knew a guy once who practiced kind of domination, but only cyberly, like he would only do it online. So there was no actual like touching of another person. He would only do it with people online. Yeah. So you became a spiritual dominatrix. Then what? So I ended up being a bottom, like a demo bottom for a lot of Cleo's classes. Can you tell the audience what a bottom is? Because I'm not sure if everybody's going to get that. Yeah. So I can describe top and bottom. So top and bottom are both umbrella terms for the role that's a person is in at that point in time, because there are also people who switch, like I myself am a mm-hmm. switch to people who like to top and bottom. So the umbrella of top encompasses everybody who is essentially giving, like giving pain, like, so like if there's a, a sadist top, if you're a mistress or a master or an owner or somebody who has an illusion of control, somebody who it looks like they're the ones who are in charge. And mm-hmm. Oftentimes, they are in charge for the duration of the scene. And there's also this subversive power that comes from being a bottom as well. So the bottom is usually the receiver, somebody who's receiving the pain, somebody who's receiving orders, someone who is doing the task that they're being asked of or ordered. And there are one of the most important things about kink is the communication that It just exists in the culture. And the three aspects that I teach people in workshops and things like that, especially people who don't engage in kinky activities or kinky sex or kinky play of any kind, people who are what we call vanilla, which is not kinky. So vanilla sex, then literally everyone can benefit from the level of consent that in the kink community, especially 
negotiations, which is what we talk about beforehand when we plan the scene, like talk about what our desires are, what we want to do, what we don't want to do, what our hard limits are, what we want to do specifically with this person, specifically on this day, specifically, you know, depending on our mood or if we're menstruating or, you know, like how sensitive our bodies are that day or, you know, whatever's going on. So communication, beautiful. We're off Mm -hmm. to a beautiful start, right? And a lot of times during those negotiations and sometimes at the beginning of the scene, people will give safe words. Largely across the scene, people use yellow to slow down and pause or check in, and then red stops the scene completely. Those are pretty common ones in the scene. It's funny. Now I'm realizing my last safe word was banana, which is yellow. OMG. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But go on. (laughs) You love it. So negotiations and then safe words and aftercare. And aftercare can be anything from, you know, the immediate care after a scene completed with little blankets and talking and checking in like how was that for you and like a little bit of a breakdown like favorite parts not favorite parts or if both people are not in their cognitive space yet just melting Mm -hmm. melting into a puddle and being and laughing and just being together and settling and whatever that looks like whether it's like you know getting food or whatnot. And then, mm-hmm. you know, checking in a few days later, if it was a really intense scene, like, hey, the other day that was emotional and mm-hmm. beautiful. Like, how are you feeling today? And that's for both or all, depending on how many people are involved in the scene. That's for all parties. Sometimes tops can experience what's known as top drop. And sometimes <laughs> there can be some shame that comes up. Yeah, Like, oh, I can't believe I did that to you. I feel terrible mm-hmm. or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then the bottom will hopefully come from a loving space, especially if it is something that they wanted and asked for. Mm-hmm. They like, no, like that was what I asked for. That was what I wanted you to do. And I loved it. And, you know, things like that. And then if something happened that was non-consensual, then that's a totally different conversation too. Right. So you started off in the kink BDSM and the spiritual sort of way of working. And then... At what point in the journey were you like, I'm going to become a therapist and put all of this together, you know? Well, I will tell you. So because I was trained as a healer and I also lived with another one of the teachers at the Academy of SM Arts, I ended up living with her and I actually officiated her wedding about two years ago. Mm. I feel like I need to like maintain a bit of privacy for her. But Of course. Yeah, yeah. We've had really similar paths. Let's just say that we've had very similar paths. And I got even more training from her and just like being around her and being around Cleo. And because we all work with energy, like I also learned about the chakras at the Academy of SM Arts and moving energy through the floggers and moving energy through paddles Mm. and your hands and your touch and your presence and just being this force and this goddess presence. Um, Mm playing with people just because of how my perspective on everything and all of this was people started coming to me to work through things because you know I had training in age play and I had training in psychodrama and I had training in Mm -hmm. play piercing and creating this safe space for people to come and be things that they were afraid of being in their Mm -hmm. lives and 
things that they needed to work through. Like some people would come in and want to be like a little kid and be like, I just want to be like this little kid. Can you just be my babysitter and tell me I'm really good and hold me? <laughs> like, you know, it was, hmm. they were corrective experiences right. for people. And I have also always, since I was a teenager at least, have been the friend that people call for advice and like, I don't mm-hmm. understand what this person's doing. And I would always be like, oh, I get what they're doing because I just kind of have always had this understanding of people and why people mm. do things. You know, I've also been through a lot. When I was younger, I went through a lot of things and that also gave me the perspective to be able to understand people and pain and behaviors and stuff that a lot of other people don't understand for whatever reason, whether it's by choice or Mm-hmm. Like not having experience. So yeah, people started coming to me to work things out. I had a friend who was like, Elma, I haven't cried in years, like two to four years. I don't remember. How wow. Long. And I did this beautiful paddling scene with him and it just got more and more intense and it helps get him in his body because that's a beautiful thing about mm-hmm. the SM aspect is that it gets you out of your head and into your body in this gorgeous way, which is why I do somatic experiencing now because it's this like, right. I know this hurts and you're strong. You're a strong person and you can do this. And so we did this paddling scene and he cried and he cried for a while and he was so grateful and it was so powerful. He was one of my, I mean, he was one of my best friends. I was like, there's something to this. This is healing. This is therapeutic. And I kind of wanted to be, I was like, maybe I'll be a life coach and like do this kind of. And then eventually I was like, no, you know what? I want a master's degree. I want to do I want to mm-hmm. license. I want to be a therapist because I had the body element already. I just sought out like what kind of emotional body training and trauma mm-hmm. I could get. And yeah, that's what I've been specializing in. And it totally matches my life path. I want to clarify for the audience. I think that people who are listening to this are going to be really intrigued and excited by this idea. But I just want to clarify in case anyone's worried, she's not spanking her clients. There, there is a definite line between the BDSM kink practices and being a therapist. So let's just draw that just to make it clear for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we can draw that. I do have those boundaries. I'm not spanking my client. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, just to make it clear. Yeah, absolutely. Although I do see kinky clients because I advertise on my website. Like I see people from the BDSM community, like because sometimes it can be a lot to explain to a therapist. And people have had experiences where they've been to a therapist and have been stigmatized and all kinds of bummer things. But for me, because I have this training, I have my clinical training, I've got my somatic experiencing Mm -hmm. training, I've got my trauma-informed training, and I've got my kink training, I can help people and coach couples and, uh, you know, my clients to use kink to heal, to heal from trauma. And because when we have these relational wounds, we can use our relationship, we can utilize the relationship that we have as safe places to heal. 100%. So you do keep using the word healing. So I think I know the answer to this question, but when you think about the word healer in terms of yourself, how does it relate? 
I think the best kind of a healer is a teacher, like someone who can teach a person whatever they need to know to heal themselves, to get out of their own way or that they already have what they need or, you know, that they have these strengths that they hadn't noticed before or, you know, Mm -hmm. teach about nutrition or sleep or rest or the importance of play or trust. An emotional healer can do those things. And I think a hands-on healer can talk to the body and teach the body how to heal itself. You know, like a massage therapist Mm -hmm. can get in there and be like, hey, muscle, remember, you can relax. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like this is what that feels like. And an acupuncturist can be like, hey, energy lines, you go like this. So I do think that a healer is essentially a teacher. And so are you a healer? Yes. Yay. (laughs) I don't know how much of the podcast you've listened to, but probably eight times out of 10, people push that word away and it makes me mad. I I still haven't really exactly put my finger on why it makes me mad. So I appreciate when people are like, yeah, I'm a fucking healer. Yes, I am a healer. I'm really curious about that. Like, do they say Mm -hmm. why? Yeah. People want to make the distinction that they're not Jesus. They're not like curing people of, you know, ailments. And a lot of people like to say that they're a vessel or a conduit, but pushing away the word healer because they think that if you own healer, that means you're doing it to somebody rather than doing it with somebody. But I think it's all in how we define it. Right. And everything that you described is what everyone does. (laughs) But I wonder if the term healer just feels too big for people, too, and fear of owning our power. I think most of the people I've interviewed are women, too. And so who knows if it's just socialization with that. And I do think probably your training as a dominatrix could potentially help you step into that role, right? Because that Mm -hmm. is about power as a healer. Yeah. So it's rad. Thank you. And so let's shift to the idea of the wounded healer. What do you think about that and how does that fit for you? I want to talk about the word wounded a little bit because I think that there are so many sides to that word. Like on the one mm-hmm. hand, over-identifying with being wounded can, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> can, can make it so much harder to heal. And not identifying with it can also lead to, ah, I'm fine. I'm fine. What? Right. This huge gash in my leg? I don't see anything. It's not. And then other people are like, you're mm-hmm. bleeding. And like some of your bone is maybe protruding. Like you have, there's something going on. And they're like, I'm good. I'm just going to keep walking on it. And you don't give yourself the time and space that you need to heal. So like mm-hmm. taking it on without over identifying with it is such a important balance. Yeah, we don't do balance well in our culture. Yeah. That's another that's a that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> Very much so. I am going to read this to you. Okay. This is what recovery has meant to me. Recognizing when I'm going through growth spurts or what my partner Zubin beautifully coined, a violent budding and giving myself compassion, space and time for them. Isn't that beautiful? Violent budding. Self-awareness and self-compassion during emotional overwhelm and implicit flashback and then faster recovery times when emotional overwhelm and implicit flashbacks happen. Owning my emotions rather than blaming who or whatever is in front of me for them, including recognizing when other people are struggling and being less likely to take things personally. (laughs) I think that's a pretty big one because like when these emotions come up, a lot of times they're old. They're from old attachments and show up in our present interactions, our present relationships. And 
being able to own that and be like, Ooh, I know what that is. <laughs> That's third grade or, you know, whatever it is. And then also knowing that other people are doing that too. Mm-hmm. And having your own boundaries around that, which brings me to this one. It also means recognizing when someone in front of me has and continues to do something hurtful and when I need the time and space from them to evaluate the relationship, including the level of reciprocity in the relationship, respect for my and their boundaries, and taking into account each other's humanness. In essence, owning my emotions, owning my self-worth, and taking responsibility without shame. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I think that taking responsibility without shame is the skill and that takes a lot of practice yeah shame for me is part of the process and i've become more adept at moving through shame more gracefully but i yeah for me yet i can't do it without shame (laughs) i wish progress not perfection right yep (laughs) it also means i can sit with all of my feelings i can find beauty in the movement of grief i can find empowerment clarity and self-worth in anger Fear is one that I still struggle to to befriend, but what I can do for fear and shame and anything else that shows up is allow for time, compassion, and space to find meaning whenever fear jumps up, when any of those other things come up. I'm curious why fear seems to be the one for you, because shame is mine. Like That is the debilitating emotion for me, and from what you just shared, it sounds like fear is the one for you, which shame is still fear. It's under the same category, but can you talk a little bit more about that? I think fear is tricky for me. I don't understand it yet because mm. I have all this understanding of why grief is important, why anger is important, why sadness mm. is important. We've all seen Inside Out. We know why sadness is important. <laughs> right. <laughs> but fear is the emotion that keeps us safe. And when I'm in a state of fear, that is when I do have a harder time finding my toolbox, you know, like I've got, mm. I'm like, that's when mm-hmm. I'm like, where did, I, where did I put it? Where did I put my toolbox? Yeah, you know? I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know it very well at this point. And fear of what? Is there anything specific that creates the fear for you? For me, I have a fear of feeling trapped. That's mm. a big thing for me. And I have like many fears. I've got like some underlying fears. Like there's this fear that pops up for me of, Anytime somebody's like, oh, well, can I ask you a question or can we talk? I'm like, oh, my God, they think oh, yeah. person. <laughs> the worst, you know, like something. Yeah, did something wrong. And I'm like going through, OK, what did I do wrong? What can I apologize for? What can I mm-hmm. do? Mm-hmm. So I've got some interpersonal fear that I keep in check. And also a lot of people who are close to me know too <laughs> that I might be feeling that. Well, I think that's one piece, you know, when you talked about the communication in the BDSM community and how it is translatable to people who are maybe vanilla, this is one perfect example, right? Like I will have to communicate with my husband what I need, right? If like there's something going on and I'm experiencing shame, all I have to do is tell him I'm feeling ashamed right now. And he knows that he has to meet me with empathy, that nothing else is appropriate at that time, right? And that communication is vital. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, negotiating relationship, negotiating, you know, like, Mm -hmm. this is what it's like to know me. And I want to know what it's like to know you, you know, Mm -hmm. like, what do you need in these moments when you're scared or when there's shame? And this is what I need. It's authenticity. Right. Beautiful. I'm thinking about everything that you're saying and how 
you know, you've been able to connect with your authentic self. And I got my hair done last night and I have a rainbow mohawk right now. And (laughs) thank you. And I was talking with my hairdresser about how annoying it is for me when people come up to me and say, oh, you're so brave. I could never do that or I could never pull it off. And it makes me mad, not because I think they're commenting on me, but they're commenting on their own limitations. And I think this is relatable to what you're saying, too. Like you somehow cultivated the knowledge of self early enough in your life to really find who you are and all of these different facets of you that make you a healer. I'm curious because I know how I've come to that, but I'm curious how you came to know yourself, the authenticity. (laughs) Right. That's a small question. Yeah, it's no big deal. You got a soundbite for that? (laughs) I mean, I'm still working on it. I think we're all working on it. I don't know. I guess I've always been weird. I've just I've always been weird. (laughs) I've always been kind of an outcast. I am definitely the weirdest person in my family. They're all very kind and loving people. Painters love them. Mm. Super nice, super kind. And I'm the weirdest person most of them have ever met. And I just always have been. So I don't even know if that's been much of a transition. Right. (laughs) As much as it has just been like, yeah, I'm weird. And it's Mm -hmm. funny because now in my office, I have this sign that my mom printed out for me, something I posted. And it says, make your weird light shine bright so the other weirdos know where to find you. Hell yeah. Yeah. Like, that's what I live by now. I'm like, well, I'm going to own exactly who I am and where Mm -hmm. I came from. And hopefully the other weirdos who are weird like me will come. And they have. And, you know, we've built Mm -hmm. community and I teach classes and workshops. And I've got my clientele is like, hey, hey, you won't think you're not going to think I'm weird because we're the same kind of weird. And like, yeah, it's beautiful. Right. Like that was my whole point in opening Head Heart was I wanted therapists who like would attract weirdos because I've had so many people be like, oh, well, you have a nose ring, so you'll understand me or you have tattoos and weird hair, so you're not going to judge me. And it's unfortunate, I guess, that people need that level of weirdness (laughs) in order to feel comfortable. But thank God we're doing it right. And when you said earlier that you've had clients who've suffered kind of trauma as a result of therapists judging parts of them like that's unacceptable, you know, and I wish I could be surprised by that, but I'm not. Yeah, that's actually happened to me. Same. It hurts on this level that. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's really hard to describe how deeply it hurts. And like the shame that I felt and like, wait, Mm -hmm. because this was somebody that I trusted and they stigmatized all these things. And and I was like, oh my God, am I wrong? Is everything I stand for wrong? Am I wrong? Like it just, the shame was really deep for like a while. It took me a while to get over it. Mm -hmm. So it's awesome that you then create the safe space for your clients to come. Yeah, you too. Thank you for doing that. Same, same. (laughs) So you talked a lot about the things that you're working on in recovery. I guess I'm just curious, the term wounded healer for you, is that something that you want to not necessarily own, maybe push away a little bit? Or is it something you feel like you can embrace with that healthy balance? Yeah, I think it is something that I can embrace with balance. I mean, like the way that I've defined both of those words are really how I see that. 
I don't go around calling myself a wounded healer. I definitely have more of the ways that I thrive kind of out in the world. And I help teach people the ways that I've learned to thrive and people that come to me are doing that in so many Mm -hmm. ways. And it's not about, okay, I'm better now. So from now on, I'm happy. And, you know, like it's about I'm having a moment of thriving right now or I'm having a moment of surviving or I'm having a moment of being wounded very deeply Mm -hmm. and whether or not that comes with like, okay, this is what happened acceptance or, you know, sometimes resentment or sometimes guilt or shame or, you know, Mm -hmm. these other uncomfortable feelings. So yeah, I do think that the things that I've been through in my life have made it possible for me to be who I am and be the therapist that I am and be the healer that I am because I can sit in those dark places with people and be comfortable and be like, yep, we're here. It's human and it's okay. I can't remember which therapist Facebook group it is, but there was a post not too long ago where a woman was like, please tell me that I'm not the only therapist who hasn't experienced any trauma. And there were a bunch of people that were like, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. And I was just like, you're either idiots or <laughs> or lying. And I hate to sound so judgmental, but this is why I have the podcast, because I think a lot of people aren't really, truly in touch with themselves enough to help other people. And that was like this shining example of like, what? Everyone has trauma because as children, you can't avoid being threatened, quote unquote, you know, your survival is threatened whenever your parent tells you no, like that's trauma for a child. So like. It doesn't have to be like, oh, you know, you watch somebody get murdered in front of you, that that's horrific. But trauma is just in being invalidated. Trauma is falling down. Right. Yeah. So I was like judging hardcore. So I am totally on the same page as you that it is because of what we've been through that makes us good therapists. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with the world and with people and for your podcast and for your therapy and the community that you build. We're trying, right? Mm -hmm. One day at a time, one person at a time. Well, as we near the end of the hour, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you really want to make sure you get across to listeners today? I don't really know. I think we're good. Yeah, I think so too. This has been awesome. And I think an unexpected tutorial for people to learn about kink and BDSM, which I think is important. You know, our Mm -hmm. culture, I don't think we talk about sex enough because it's something that's very scary for a lot of people to talk about. And so the more that we can put it out in the light, just like, you know, stigma for mental illness and addiction and all that jazz, the more we talk about it, the less scary it is. Yeah. Ooh, I did think of one thing. Yes. When we were talking about safe words, this is something that has come up a lot in working with sexual trauma survivors in mm-hmm. that sometimes when someone is playing and they go into freeze, they lose mm. capacity to talk. So they don't have access to the safe words. Yeah. And that's something that needs to be talked about a little bit more. And I know a few other people who have done this too, using reverse safe words. So in that case, if the top is in tune with the person or the partner of the person can say something like, are you with me? Mm-hmm. Or checking in. Because like, if you're in tune with somebody, you can see like kind of like their eyes oh, yeah. glaze over, you know, when somebody kind of checks out. When they leave. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So utilizing reverse safe words is really important. And mm. never, ever blaming somebody 
for freezing. Freezing is such a natural response and it gets a bad rap. Yeah, no, that's something I've never thought of, but you're 100% right. Prefrontal cortex goes offline, then you can't do anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Almo, this was a profound pleasure. It was. Thank you so much for having me. This was so nice. Yeah, I'm excited. Maybe we'll have to do it again because I feel like there are a million other things you could talk about. Oh, yeah, kind of always. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yay! Yeah! Awesome. Well, thanks again for being with us today. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much to Elmo Painter for sharing her awesomeness with our podcast today. Also, thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and Edwin Ruiz at the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, my friend Liam O'Donnell for the great album art photo, and Ben Mueller for our theme music. For more information on Elmo, you can visit my website at www.headhearttherapy.com podcast. And don't forget, you can always find Conversations with a Wounded Healer on Facebook and Twitter. And don't forget to follow us on Spotify or subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Until next time. Bye-bye.